0: Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Colossians, and let's go to chapter 2. We want to pick up our study in verse 11 uh, through verse 23. But as I mentioned in the bulletin, the title of our teaching, Jesus Abolishes the Law. And you're going to see the reason why. But let me give you just a little bit of background as we have been looking at this beautiful book As Paul's writing from a prison, remember. He's in a prison in Rome. He's writing to the Colossians now. There are four books that he writes from prison. But what's interesting about the Colossians, Paul had never been there. Epaphras, a brother in Christ, came from Colossae. And he told Paul the dangers that were going on there, the undermining that was going on. And the same Undermining that was in the time of the early church are the same that are with different labels, even still today. The Gnostics were, were very prevalent there. They believed that salvation was uh, through knowledge. And so, knowledge is what you need. We're going to see this morning also that uh, they believe that Jesus was equal to the angels. And yet the Bible says in his preeminence in in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus was before the angels. He was before creation. And so Jesus we know as God. We know him as the incarnate God. And so last week we also brought forth the, the philosophers at the time. And so there were those that were coming in with their flowery speech. Those that were enticing with their words. And Paul refuted these things. Now, if anybody was a learned man, it was this Saul of Tarsus that becomes Paul the Apostle. And so when it came to that area of speaking of knowledge, he was very knowledgeable. When it came to that area of speaking concerning the law, Paul studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was considered the beauty of the law. He was one of the greatest seven rabbis, even still today. Paul studied under him. Paul knew the law inside and out. And we're going to mention circumcision. Paul boasted that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he said, On the eighth day, I was circumcised. So if anybody could boast of the law, it was this Paul the Apostle. And so it's important for us to see this. If we're a Christian this morning, we know that Jesus is our complete sacrifice. In fact, I would encourage you to read and to study Hebrews chapter 10. There in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews so beautifully brings out that Jesus not only is our complete sacrifice, we no longer need animal sacrifice, but he also says he is our complete high priest. And so again, Paul knows exactly what he's talking about, and yet Uh, we see how these Judaizers came back into the picture. Now, in order to understand this, leave a marker there, but go with me to the book of Romans. And let's go to chapter 5 and pick it up there in verse 8. And here in Romans chapter 5, Paul begins to teach concerning Christ our Savior. He took our place by His death. You see, church, there's nothing that I can do for salvation. And that is only to accept Christ by faith. All I have to do is have faith. I don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to be circumcised. I don't have to do the dietary laws. And they were very adamant. They're still adamant today. I don't have to do the meat laws. And Paul's going to be speaking of that here this morning. But look at Romans chapter 8 verse 5 or chapter 5, excuse me, uh, dyslexia, chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, listen to this beautiful statement, Christ died for us. You and I were in our sinful stage. Whatever it may be, the sin nature I was in, the sin nature you were in, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, he says here. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath uh, through him. We know that Jesus died. He's my complete sacrifice. Again, Hebrews chapter 10. I've accepted that sacrifice. I'm complete now. It's his blood uh, that washes me. It's his blood that has saved me. I don't need animal sacrifices anymore. Verse 10 goes on. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled. As a sinner, I was an enemy to Christ. As a sinner, you were an enemy to Christ. But while we were yet sinners, he saves us. And now it says here, we are reconciled. He changes us. That's what we learn in Colossians chapter 1. He changed us to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled again. Change, we shall be saved by his life. The life that he gave on the cross. You see, the law, we said, uh, Jesus came to abolish the law, but the law points to Christ. We don't need the law anymore. All the rituals, the rites, and the customs, we don't need no more. All we need is Christ. The law cannot save you. The law cannot save me. Only Christ can save. He concludes in verse 11, and not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. We have received this change. Now the Bible tells us that we're complete in Christ, but we know that the Greek is speaking of we're being completed in Christ. The Bible says here, I'm reconciled in Christ. I am changed in Christ. But we know until Jesus comes, I'm not complete. I'm not completely changed either. So he's reconciling me. And that's the beauty of it. Well done, though, good and faithful servant. We're going to hear one day as we enter the kingdom of God. But right now, if I've accepted Christ, you've accepted Christ, I have begun the change. What changes me? His blood is what changes me. His blood is what transforms me. You see, Jesus becomes our go-between. Jesus becomes my mediator. Jesus becomes our kinsman redeemer. We've been studying that in the book of Ruth on Wednesday nights. He becomes our go Jesus, my kinsman redeemer, your kinsman redeemer. He paid the price uh, to give us life. I don't need anything else. So now let's go to our text and begin here in verse 11 in Colossians chapter 2. And listen to what Paul begins. It's not the philosophers now. It's not the Gnostics, but now the Judaizers that we've spoken of so much before. Verse 11, it says, in whom, or excuse me, in him, you were also circumcised. He says, with the circumcision made without hands, there is a circumcision that's not made without hands, but putting off the body of the sin of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, listen to what Paul's saying here. If you're taking notes, back in Genesis chapter 17, God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And listen to this as a sign to the Jews. The New Testament teaches that circumcision of the heart now must take place. This is the circumcision that's done without hands. You see, to the Jew on the eighth day, that child, that male child, has to be circumcised. Interesting, even if it fell on the the Sabbath, and yet you were breaking the law by doing a work, but it still had to be done. Now, this circumcision of Christ is the spiritual work. Jesus accomplished in my heart and in your heart. That's how reconciliation begins. That's how transformation begins. That's how this metamorphosis through the born again experience, this is how change begins. Many times we've shared here, you should not be the same person you were even last week. There should be that change, that transformation in you. I'm going to give you two verses because the Jews were so adamant circumcision, circumcision. But yet, listen to this, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, this is Moses now. Moses, the lawgiver. And he writes, circumcision, or circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And so yet the law, according to Genesis 17, circumcision was given to Abraham as a covenant. But it was a sign. They made it into a ritual, a rite, a custom. But Moses writes, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Paul picks this up, and we go to Romans chapter 2, verse 29, and Paul says he is a Jew who is inwardly a circumcision of the heart. He's going to be speaking about baptism. And so circumcision is an outward work. Baptism is an outward work. Not eating the meats, not eating the dairy products, not mixing them together is an outward work. Uh, Keeping the law of the Sabbath is an outward work. Whatever law you do, it was an outward law. But all we need is Christ. Christ accomplishes everything inwardly. Change my heart, oh God. And that's what God begins to do. Paul came to grips with that. Notice verse 12 now. So not only has he changed my heart, not only has he caught my heart, notice now, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So obviously... Paul's picking up right after verse 12. Because of the circumcision of Christ now, we are buried with Christ when you were baptized. Also, with Jesus, you were raised to a new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. We also rise from death unto life because of Christ. Now, I have not gone to the cross physically. But spiritually, I died at the cross. Spiritually, you died at the cross. And it first begins, listen, you die to self. You come to saving grace and you die to self. And God begins to chip away the old man, chip away the old woman. Paul teaches here, is that the ritual of circumcision, and now the ritual of baptism, both were outward works. They speak of the works of man, but the work that Christ has done for us is the inward work accomplished through his death and his resurrection. Salvation is only through Christ. Now, circumcision cannot save you. Baptism cannot save you. We need Christ. We shared this verse so many times, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Because if we could do a work, whatever it might be, I would boast of it. And that's exactly what Paul says. Now, is there anything wrong with water baptism? No. Water baptism is an outward sign. I'm telling people listen, I'm going into the water to be baptized, it's a testimony. It's a witness to family, friends, and loved ones. You're going in and coming out a new man, a new woman in Christ. But that's not your salvation. The men, if the men desire to be circumcised, fine, you can do it. But that's not your salvation. That's what Paul's getting to. I believe and I teach in water baptism. We'll be having one come around springtime. But that's still not your salvation. The first thing that we do... Before the water baptism, we gather the group of the people that are going to get water baptized. And we have a small, quick Bible study with them. And we let them know, this is not going to save you. This is an outward work. You're testifying, I'm going in as an old man, an old woman, and I'm going to come out afresh. But it's salvation that God has worked inside of the heart. Look at verse 13. And you, he says, he's talking to the church of Colossae, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, and I want you to underline that, all your transgressions or all of your sins. We were all dead because of our sins, first of all. And when we come to Christ, we come to life, basically. We were all dead because of our trespasses, because of our sins, and because your sinful nature, my sinful nature, was not yet cut away. That's the circumcision that does not save you, but the heart that needs to be cut. Then God made you alive with Christ when he forgave all of your sins. Oh, I love that. You see, when I recognize that Jesus died on the cross for me, I come to this place now. I know that he died for me. And my sins, listen, and he's forgiven them past, present, and future. I mean, there's are sins I still haven't committed, but they're already under the blood. Now, I'm not looking to commit those sins. But whatever sin I've done, it's forgiven. It's under the blood. It's a beautiful place to be, church. When Christ forgives you all of your sins are forgiven. Now Paul's stressing this to the Colossians that were struggling. Well, maybe I need to get water baptized, or maybe I need to get a circumcised, or maybe I need to get back to the meat loss, or maybe I need to get back to the dietary laws. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Look at verse 14. He continues now. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I love that. Listen to Paul's heart now. He knows what the Colossians are struggling to. He can't get out of uh, prison there in Rome. Uh, Epaphras brings uh, the circumstances that are going on there, and then he writes this beautiful letter, and Epaphras brings it back, but Paul wishes he was there, but he can't be there. And so Paul's heart here, you have to understand why he loves, why he cares so much. Paul, as I mentioned earlier, he's a former Pharisee of Pharisees. The law was everything to Paul. Jesus wipes out, it says here, the handwritten requirements. Do this, don't do that. This is everything to Paul. Jesus wipes it out. Everything in the law. Notice now, Paul said, which was against us. The law could not save you. Jesus took the law away, or what we shared in our title. He abolishes the law. How does he do this? It tells us right here in verse 14. By nailing it to the cross once and for all. Jesus paid the full price for me. Now, we need to understand this further. Turn with me. Leave a marker there. Go to John chapter 19, the gospel. And just verses 28 through 30, Jesus proclaims at the cross, listen to the statement, you've heard it before, it is finished, it is done, it is complete. The men don't have to be circumcised anymore. The women don't have to, you know, be veiled. The women don't have to, you know, follow the dietary laws, the meat laws, the men likewise. There are so many rules and regulations. We'll share them in just a minute now. But in John chapter 19, the gospel, look at verse 28 now. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said this, I thirst. Now look at the picture. Jesus is on the cross. It's close to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He's getting ready to give up the ghost. We know that he's going to die. He's going to make this cry. It is finished. But they take some hyssop. They put it into, you know, this vinegar, this wine vinegar. It was like a sedative and they put it up to his lips. Notice the next verse. He says, I thirst. Verse 29. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop as type of a branch from a tree and put it to his mouth. So, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. The Greek word is to tell a story. Now, it's a beautiful statement here. It is finished, it's done. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his death? Three times he prays, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup of death pass. But if not, let not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus knew. That he had to go to the cross for all mankind. Now, mankind has to accept that. We shared earlier, Jesus died for you. He died for me. Listen, past, present, and future. But I must accept him. He said, it is finished. Listen to this. And he bowing down his head, he gave up the ghost. Right then and there, the law was abolished. Remember in another passage, I believe it's in the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says that the curtain, which separates you from the Holy of Holies, it rent in two. This curtain was 15 feet square. It was very thick. They said it was 18 inches, a cubit. It was interwoven gold. In fact, Josephus says that the priesthood had to have several priests to move it back For the high priest to go in, history tells us the historians write that after it had run into, after everything was over, months later, the Jews went back and sewed it back up, wanting the law further. I want you to listen to this verse. You can write it down, in Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen. Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill. You see, it's a strong word to say because to the Jew, uh, the law was everything. So it's a strong phrase to say Jesus abolished the law, but basically, he did. It was completed. Uh, Here that we read in verse 30 of John chapter 19, it is finished to tell a story. It's done, it's a complete done deal. Paul's trying to convey this now to the Colossians. Look at verse 15. Let's go back to uh, our text. Having disarmed principalities, and this is the angelic realm, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen to the translation. Jesus spoiled, or he disarmed, or he put out of commission all spiritual powers. We know that a third of the angels followed Lucifer. We know that Lucifer was an archangel, I believe. He was in charge of the music, Ezekiel chapter 28. But in Isaiah 14, he said, I will ascend upon the Most High. Pride sets in. He wasn't content being an archangel of God. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says that the dragon uh, took a third of the stars which I believe are the third of these angels. And so many times, the enemy thinks he wins. You see, the enemy wanted Jesus on the cross, but little did he know what Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross. It is finished. It's done. No more animal sacrifices. No more high priests. I'd done it all, basically, at the cross Now, Jesus disarmed, put out a commission, all spiritual power, Satan, the fallen angels. uh, At the cross, at Calvary, 2,000 years ago, they were defeated. The victory is ours through Christ Jesus, those of us that are saved. Now, I'm not going to leave you there without explaining this, okay? If the victory was taken at the cross, why do we still struggle with a demonic realm? Because the devil is not complete yet. Oh, he's still here. He's alive and well on planet Earth. But he was defeated at the cross. Now I want you to write this down. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, at the conclusion of the great white throne judgment, after the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the books are open. And then it tells us, that finally, Satan is cast in to the lake of fire. And even at the end of the 1,000-year reign, Satan is, is bound in hell. And then he's loosed for a season. It's amazing to me that the earth repopulates in that 1,000-year reign. And then Satan comes to tempt. And there are going to be those that are going to follow. How? Is that possible? The Bible says even the very elect uh, can be deceived. You see, the law was everything to the Jew. And they could not let go. And now uh, these Gnostics thought everything was about the angelic realm. They even referred to Jesus. and And the teachings of Gnosticism that Jesus was an angel. And as we studied in Colossians chapter one, the preeminence of Christ, He is everything. He is before all things. He was before creation. God always was and always will be. I was doing some background study, back up in verse 14, the handwriting of requirements. The law is incredible. There's three aspects, and I forgot to mention them to you. Uh, the first law is the Torah. They're called the five books of Moses. Now, if you've studied the five books of Moses, there's enough law in there. But then they wrote the Talmud. The Talmud is 613 written rules and regulations to understand the five books of Moses. And then uh, they wrote the the Mishnah. And the Mishnah speaks of uh, the legal opinions and the legal debates. And so you can just imagine, and the Jews were so good at changing the law. Oh, when it came to the law of marriage, women, you had basically no rights. And if your husband knew a good rabbi, he just went to visit him. And he could get you a writing of divorcement for practically anything. If you're in the marketplace and your ankles showed a writing of divorcement, God forbid but you you know you burned the fish a writing of divorcement you oversalted or undersalted a writing of divorcement and so basically a woman had no rights and so Jesus abolished that some of you're laughing cuz all your food's burnt look at verse 16 now so let no one judge you and this is what we're speaking about The law, let no one judge you in in food or drink or regarding a, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Listen to what Paul's saying to the church at Colossae. He's saying it to us this morning. Don't let anyone condemn you or even question you of what you eat or what you drink. Or the celebrating, listen, of certain holy days. New moon ceremonies of the Sabbath worship. The Jew followed the law to the T, to the letter, the meat laws, the dairy product laws, the Sabbath laws, certain feast day, uh, the monthly moon laws. I mean, there was so much. Now, the first time I had the opportunity uh, to go to Israel, you see these things firsthand. And so it was Friday and we were out, you know, touring. But our guide was so quick, he wanted to get back in town. Because we, at this time, we were in Jerusalem, and on Friday at dusk, the Shabbat begins. Now, our guide was a born-again Christian, a completed Jew, he called himself. But still, because you know, because of Judaism, what he was raised in, he couldn't wait to get home. And be with his family, and lighting the candles and such, the ritual, the rite, the custom. But I thank God, he knew that he's saved. He's born again of the Holy Spirit, not because of the rituals, the rites, or the custom. But we started to see people in Jerusalem, the businesses, they just shut down. And I was all excited because I thought, man, this is neat. At least they're practicing something. And he goes, oh, they don't even care about it. They just care that it's a day off. Remember when we used to get President's Day Off or Martin Luther King Day? You didn't care about their birthday. He just wanted the day off. I can't wait till Cesar Chavez has a day off so we can, you know. (laughs) But the law, church, the law. When Mary and I finally went to Israel together, they separate the meats and the dairy products. For breakfasts, you got all the cheeses you want. You got all the milk you want, all the cereals, all the eggs. They would make egg salads. There's no way you're going to find bacon or sausage. No meats at all. They separated that. Then when we came back for dinner, I'm going, man, I want to have some cheese with some bread. Nope, no dairy products now. It's all meat products or fish. And then so Mary orders a cup of coffee. And I drink my coffee black. The guy brings it, and she goes, I need cream. Oh, sorry, we can't sell cream because that's a dairy product. But then he says, listen, go out to the foyer. There's a man out there with a cart. And he'll sell you a little cream for the Gentiles. So she has to get up, go out there, and bring it back in. But it's okay if you do it that way. You see, they'll get around the law. Whatever it takes to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Okay, those of us that were formerly Catholics, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Boy, you have to get the ashes. And remember, 40 days of Lent, you got to give up something. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us used to give up broccoli? Remember that? <laughs> I wasn't the only one. See, I went through the Catholic school system, so I know. But my grandson, he calls up the house, and he says, "Grandpa, why?" Because there's some other cousins with him now, and they're going to Catholic school. They go. Uh, How come they giving up things for Lent? What's Lent? What can I give up? And then they have dirt on their forehead. How come I don't have dirt on my forehead? This is is tough on a 10-year-old. They don't understand it. So then one of the other nephews, listen to this, he gives up a video game for 40 days. But his older brother does not give up the video game. So for 40 days, the other brother is going to be right here. He's just watching him. You're killing a little kid, man. They don't understand giving up for 40 days. I remember my dad. He gave up drinking whiskey for 40 days. But he drank wine and beer every day for 40 days. (laughs) You see, it's a cop-out, man. That's why I said... All right, Lord, I'm giving up broccoli. Come on, okay. You want some more lima beans? I'll give those up too. So it's just the ritual. I'm not making fun of this, but it was comical because we, you know, we would try to do the least thing. Oh, I remember one time probably seven or eight years old. And my mom was determined, we're not going to watch TV. We're not going to listen to radio uh, for 40 days. Now, we didn't have a lot of stations back in Southern Cal at that time. I think we had six stations. Impossible. Some of you don't understand that, do you? But we were in torment. And then she put a shroud over, you know, the television and a shroud over the radio. And, man, we were going crazy. Crazy. For what? Jesus has accomplished everything, church. Everything. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Look at verse 17. Which are a shadow. He explains it now. The law was a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Shadows. You see the cross or excuse me, the law was pointing uh, to the cross. The Jews did not see that Genesis 17, it, it was a sign that was given to Abraham, circumcision. Oh, they made it into a ritual, a rite, a custom. Remember Paul, in his testimony, he says, man, I boasted on the third day or the eighth day I was circumcised. But seeing, verse 17, their shadows, referring to all the particulars of a shadow of things to come. Shadow, not sketches. Or outlines, but I like this, a picture of, as shown the body. The Mosaic ritual law was a shadow, a picture of the things to come. The things that was to come was going to be the New Testament. And in this New Testament, Christ was going to be the complete sacrifice. And he was going to bring in grace. No longer the rituals, the rites, the customs. This substance, or the body of Christ, is what has come. Now, here's the key of verse 17. The Old Testament was the shadow of the New Testament that was to come. It's done now. It's complete. The Old Testament sacrifice was a shadow of the complete sacrifice in and through Jesus Christ, who is here now. Again, in Hebrews chapter 10, he is our complete sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10, he is our complete high priest and so the beauty of what christ has done and the word abolish is a harsh word but he has abolished he has completed it this is why when he gave up the ghost he says it is finished then paul goes on look at verse 18 now let no one cheat you of your reward that reward is your salvation Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. That's what the Gnostics did. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now I mentioned earlier, the Gnostics taught that angels were our advocates, our go-betweens, our lawyer for our defense, not Christ, because they considered Christ one of the angels. So Paul responds, let no man cheat you. Listen to the translation. Let let no man defraud you. If you have a King James, let no man beguile you. That's exactly what Satan did, the Lucifer, uh, the serpent back in Genesis chapter 3. Let no man defraud you of your reward or your salvation. Listen, you're not saved unless you do this. You're not saved unless you do that. And they begin to give you additives. These false teachers, Paul says, they take delight. Or a better translation, they take pleasure in their false or their fake humility. Not true humility of the heart. And so many times you see this even on the airways. You see a preacher come out and he comes out so humble and basically all he wants is your finances. Not true humility of heart but pride. And that was the downfall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. They worship angels, and they ask you to worship angels. The Bible teaches otherwise, Old Testament, New Testament, forbidding the worship of angels. They intrude or they dwell in the unseen, the spiritual things. They're always into the spiritual realm, which so easily can become the demonic realm. The cults are so driven by this. Why? Because they are puffed up, filled with pride, filled with the intellect of the world. That's what the Gnostics believed. Look at verse 19 now. And not holding fast to the head. This head is Christ. Not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, speaking of the body of Christ, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. He's using body terminology, but at the same time, the head is Christ. The body is the body of Christ. But notice that he uses this word knit. We're going to get to that right now. Not taking hold of the head, the head, which is Christ from which the whole body, the true church, is nourished. Listen, supplied spiritual life and life eternal because we are knit. Listen to the translation. United together. The Bible says we're all one in Christ. Compacted together. But I like this translation. We are glued together in Christ. The body is linked together in Christ Jesus. And here's how we grow, church. Here's how we nourish. Because of Christ, through his word, we learn from the word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to young Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that rightfully divides the word of truth. That's what we're doing here this morning. But to study, not just to read, but to study. Study the word. If you've been part of our ministry long enough, you know that we're going to teach you the word. If you go to another Calvary chapel, they should be also teaching you the word. Not a sermonette, but to teach you the word of God. And we're going to hit all of the doctrines. Notice verse 20 now. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles. Now, principles here are the rudiments or the fundamentals of the world. Why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? The word regulations is uh, the ceremonial traditions of man. And so in verse 20, listen to what Paul's saying. Since you have died with Christ, Bob's been nailed to the cross. You've been nailed to the cross. It's a spiritual thing. Since you died with Christ, you have accepted Jesus into your life and the work on the cross, and he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why, listen, why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as? And he's going to go into verse 21. Look at it real quick. Do not touch this, do not taste that, do not handle that. We'll get to that right now, but just for your notes In Acts chapter 10, remember Peter, he's hungry. He's on top of the roof, and he's at Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter, strict Jew. And God lowers this beautiful sheet. And on that sheet, I believe Peter saw a rack of lamb. I believe Peter saw, you know, sausage. I believe Peter saw the biggest pork chops in the world. These are all pork products. Peter tells the Lord, not so, Lord, I have never touched. But Jesus said, don't call anything wrong, which I have cleansed." Now, to understand this further, verse 20, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 1. And here... Paul speaks to the church at Rome, we are dead to sin, alive to God now. And so be careful when somebody says, touch not, taste not, handle not. I don't have to get caught up into these rituals. And so Romans 6, look at verse 1. He begins, what shall we say then? He's asking a question. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who are who died to sin live any longer in it? The translation I love here, he says, certainly not. It's better translation, perish that thought. Put that out of your mind. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I should have nothing to do with sin, and yet I am a sinner. You are a sinner, and I thank the Lord that it's covered under his precious blood. In verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? I like that. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, into death, that is, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk now in the newness of life. Verse 5, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly also shall we be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I have not resurrected yet. You have not resurrected yet. But in Christ, I already have. You did not die physically on the cross, but spiritually I have died on the cross. You have died on the cross. That's what Paul's saying here. In the likeness of his death, in the likeness of his res- resurrection. In verse 6, he concludes, knowing this, that our old man, our old woman, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Church, this morning, if you're a Christian, you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you have received Christ, you're free. I'm free. And no ritual, right, custom, or tradition is going to set you free. Only the blood of Christ. Now, we shared last week, there are good traditions, there are bad traditions. Be careful when we're so hung up on them. Remember what we shared during Thanksgiving? For the longest time, our family, you have a turkey and you have ham. Why do we have ham? It's part of the tradition. And boy, if we didn't have that, uh, that ham, we'd be yelling, where's the ham? With the birds there, perfect bird, right? Nope, where's the ham? It's got to go with it. Hey, why do we have tamales for Christmas? Well, why not? You see, traditions, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And so we have to be very careful. Now look at verse 20. Let me read it again. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourself to the ceremonial traditions or to the regulations? And then he goes in to verse 20. He says, do not touch this, do not taste that, do not handle this. It gets so frustrating. Now let me give you a simple translation out of verse 21. Touch not means Don't attach yourself to that. Uh, Taste not. Don't experience that. We're we're so, you know, you tell the little kid, don't put your hands in the cookie jar. He's going to find everything in his power to stick his hands in there. Notice this. He says, handle not, manipulate not. And see, that's exactly what the cults did. They would manipulate. The Gnostics would manipulate you. The Judaizers would manipulate you. Listen, Jesus is fine, but you need to be circumcised. Listen, Jesus is fine, but you need to go back to the dietary laws and the meat laws. And and, and it never ends. So verse 21 again, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. The strictness of the law. Now, basically, uh, these were the three very strict orders. The Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Gnostics. They made holy the outward observances, the rules, and the regulations instead of the inward conviction of the principles of God's word, God's spirit. Now, the Pharisees were very strict. We, we read about the Sadducees. We read about the scribes. But I'm trying to give you the, the strictness of the law. But these ASEANs, we don't hear much about the ASEANs. They were a a very strict group that you found up in the Qumram Valley. John the Baptist was believed to be an ASEAN. And they preserved the word of God. They were very good at that. And so there in the Qumram Valley is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves. Back in 1948, little boy found them, little shepherd boy. They were hidden in jars there in the Qumran Valley, and it shows the perfect word that's been preserved. And so the Essenes, and this is, you know, uh, he used to eat locusts and honey, John the Baptist, very strict. I mean, if we saw him today, we would probably freak out. But look at verse 22 now, which all concerns things which perish, All these things we worry so much, the outward things, which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. You know, God gave Moses 10 commandments. And man, they went to town with those 10 commandments. Look at verse 22. Rules again are mere human teachings about the things that are gone as soon as you use them man-made rules, man-made laws, do this, do not do that, you will be saved. Circumcision, baptism, speaking in tongues. I heard somebody say that. Listen, brother, you're not saved till you speak in tongues. Where does that say it? In scripture. And so you put pressure on people. So here in verse 22, here is the key. Listen, where is the grace of God? Where is the grace of God? Where is his mercy? Where is his love? The grace of God that endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His love endures forever. And so let's say Jesus left that law. Listen, if you eat one pork product, you're in trouble. And so you go hang out at the ballpark and somebody hands you a bag. You're watching the game. You didn't realize they're not polyseeds, but they're pork rinds. And you just chewed in a pork rind. And all of a sudden you go, oh man. You see what it does to you? I'm probably seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I was back at St. Joseph's Catholic School in the pavilion. I told some of you, it was Friday. And in those days, no meat on Fridays. My mom, she makes me a bologna sandwich. I'm biting the bologna sandwich. Sister Antonia Maria comes from this side and smacks me upside the head. You are eating meat, mister. And I'm going, ah, (laughs) trying to get rid of it. I was convinced I'm going to hell. You don't do that to a 10-year-old. Man, too much rituals, rites, customs, traditions that we fail at. We fail at. Look at the conclusion now, verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body. They are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The best way to understand religion, religion is man-made. Nimrod was trying to get to heaven, and he builds a ziggurat back in Genesis. Then he takes an arrow and he shoots it to heaven like he's going to reach the heavens. God calls the Tower of Babel, remember? The confusion of tongues. Religion is man always trying to reach God. But a relationship is God reaching down to man through his precious son, Jesus Christ look at verse 23 rules may be seen wise because they require strong devotion man it was murder because we tried to give up broccoli but the nun said no it has to be a candy bar it has to be something you like and and then naturally everybody would tattle on everybody oh I know what he likes he likes butterfingers I know what he likes he likes Abba Zabba's. some of you don't even know what an Abba Zabba is but listen to do these rituals rites customs they require devotion Humility and severe bodily discipline, but they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts. So you do all the rituals outwardly, but it's still in here, and it's still in here, your sin nature. And this is why Paul says what needs to be cut is the circumcision of the heart, the heart is callous. The heart is prideful. The heart is sinful. That's what needs to be cut. And so we've come to the born-again experience. And I pray this morning that God has cut your heart. And you don't want to. You don't desire to. I don't want to go back into the bars. I, I don't want to sell drugs. I don't want to curse. It bothers me when I hear curse words. That's the process of God changing you, transforming you. Ladies, gentlemen, if, if you're a gossiper, God hates that. Give it to God. Be careful. So many little things we get tripped on. Oh, it's tax season, right? Watch out what you tell your tax man. How much do you give to the church? Oh, millions. Be careful. See, I, I was there. Mary and I, you, this is before we got saved. Man, we had all kinds of businesses going. And our tax men had them all running for us. We were. I was fortunate. I didn't go to jail. But these were the things you did in the world. When we got saved, I went to the elders and I said, I need a Christian CP, CPA, CPR, what are they? Or is that the other thing? CPA. I was thinking of Ray's office over there. Anyway... They said, Sandy, he'll help you. Mary and I sat down with Sandy, a CPA, right? And he looked at our papers. He goes, what have you been doing? And he says, you're in trouble. I go, do I go tell the the IRS? And he goes, no, let it go. Ask God for his grace. Seven years, seven years, they could have audited us. And we just gave it to God. Let, Let me end the story this way. All of my aunts and uncles and relatives that went to the same guy. I should have known the tax ban was a problem when his office was hooked up to his car. It was a trailer. <laughs> Mary and I were the only ones that were never audited. It was the grace of God. The grace of God. Man, you cannot do the things of the world. They will entrap you. You have to let them go. Jesus has abolished the law, listen, once and for all. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Lord, now we should understand what Jesus meant by he abolished the law. He paid the full price for everything on that cross. He said to story. it is finished. There is not a ritual, a rite, a custom, a tradition. There's nothing outwardly that I can do for my salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, right now, before we conclude, with every eye closed, every head bound, you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're in a totally backslidden condition. You need to get right with God. I'm going to give you that opportunity. We're not going to ask you to come up, but right there, where you're at, if you've never accepted Christ or you're so backslidden and you need to get back with God, do that right now by indicating, raising your hand, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ. I see your hand in the back. Praise God. Anybody else, I see your hand way in the back. Anybody else would like to make that commitment to Christ. Maybe you've already done it, but you know you're messed up. You know you have messed up royal. You need to get back to God. If that's you, raise your hand. Anybody, real quick. So we've had a few people raise their hand. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these dear saints that are here this morning to serve you. Not to serve man. Not to serve Calvary Chapel. But to serve you, Lord. We're all sinners saved by grace. And sometimes we've we've accepted Christ, but we go astray. And sometimes we still haven't accepted Christ. We need to receive Jesus once and for all. And these two hands went up, Lord. I ask you to speak to their hearts. I ask you to forgive them of their sins, past, present, and future, Lord. I ask you, to, Lord, to baptize them in the power of your Holy Spirit. And maybe some of us that didn't raise our hand, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there where you're at. Ask God to baptize you as well as these two gentlemen. Baptize them now, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, give us such love for you that it will totally transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all agree by saying amen.